The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And so all went to be registered, each to their own towns. And so also Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David that is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered along with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same region shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that is for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel an entire multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Now when the angels had departed, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened that the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying they had heard concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at the shepherd's words. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that by your spirit, you would tonight so fill my mouth with the Christmas gospel that our ears would be filled with the Christmas gospel that our whole lives would be transformed by this Christmas gospel so that this, your world, would be filled more and more with a people who know and believe and live this Christmas gospel. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Why does this story, this Christmas story, capture us still? Why does this Christmas gospel still grab a hold of us and make us stand quiet and in awe? You know, one of our parishioners told me the story a number of years ago. He was going through Frankfurt Airport in Germany at Christmas. Christmas Eve. Now he's a cellist and his cello is 300 years old. So that piece does not go under the plane. That cello travels with him on the plane. And so he's going through security and the Frankfurt security here on Christmas Eve, 
stop him because they don't believe he actually plays the cello. And they say, you must take it out and play it. He says, you really think there's something fishy going on. And so he pulls the cello out there. Thousands of Christmas travelers, international airport. He pulls the cello out and begins playing Silent Night. And instantly, a thousand travelers who are harried and hurried suddenly stop. Stillness. And then one by one, they start singing, most of them in German, Silent Night, filling that airport with a holy moment, all because of this Christmas carol being played on a cello. Why does this story capture us still? Why does it grab a hold of us? Well, as we hear the story of Fresh tonight, here's what we see. The reason it captures us still is there is no other story like this story. There is no other story that answers the deepest yearnings of our heart than this good news story. For in this story, here's what we find, that even in our worst moments, God is with us. And it's not just that even in our worst moments, God is with us. But he's with us because he wants us. He wants you and he wants me and he wants everyone in this world. See, Christmas, the Christmas story meets us in the worst places of our lives. The story begins in a terribly bad place, a dark place, the worst of times. We're told at the beginning here of Luke's gospel that in those days, a decree went out that all the world should be registered. It's a census. Caesar wants to count all the people. And it's a reminder that here is Israel, God's people, living under an oppressive pagan empire. They do not have freedom. They do not have justice. They are totally beaten down. And let's remember what a census means. A census means conscription for military service, and it means taxes. So this story's beginning with yet another census, which means more of our young men and our boys being sent off to fight Caesar's unholy wars and more of our money, already an impoverished people, being taken by Caesar to run Caesar's unholy administration. There's a reason why Isaiah in Isaiah 9 says, a people walking in darkness. This is a people living in the land of deep darkness. That's where Christmas begins in the worst place, in a place of darkness. And you and I, friends, know that darkness. You do, you know it, I know it, it's out there, right? We see it. We can look out there and see the corruption and the brokenness. We can see all the uncertainty, all of it out there, but we don't need to look out there, we can look right in here. We know the darkness right inside us, the brokenness within us, all that we regret, all that has gone wrong within us. And you may say, wow, this Christmas sermon is already going to such a dark place. Isn't Christmas supposed to be joyful? Isn't it supposed to be the most happy time of year? It's the most wonderful time of the year, except when it isn't. You know, letters to Santa, the post office receives so many. These are, these are really old. They published some of them. These are really old, so none of these names, you'll be able to track them down. But here's some letters to Santa, real letters to Santa. Sarah, age six in Denver, Colorado, writes to Santa, I have been really good all year long, but don't ask mommy and daddy if it's true. 
Or Alfred, aged seven from Austin, Texas, says, Dear Santa, you did not bring me anything good last year. You did not bring me anything good the year before that. This is your last chance, signed Alfred. (laughs) But how about Andrew, age eight, from Cole Grove, Ohio? Santa, I don't know if you can grant any wish, but if you can, please let me and my sister spend Christmas with our parents. Make sure you find us both since we are in different foster homes. Thank you. Or Stephanie, age six, from Safford, Arizona, who simply says, please, please, across the page, get my dad out of jail. If at this time of year, you're facing despair and discouragement and darkness, then you're exactly ready to hear the Christmas gospel because that's where Christmas begins. For as Isaiah 9 says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, on them light has dawned. Why? Because the angels say that God is with us. In the midst of the worst of us, God is with us. That's what the angels declare. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. I bring you good news of great joy that is for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What the angel is announcing changes everything. Because what he's announcing, what the angel is announcing, is that it's not just that God has come near to us, but God has moved in with us, has come to dwell with us. In the words of John 1, John's own Christmas story, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Or maybe the best translation, the Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood with us. It changes everything. See, I'll tell you, as someone who was a former atheist, who looked at all the other options before Christianity, I can tell you, friends, that every other religion, every other worldview, every other ideology will promise you that, yes, you can find God or enlightenment or peace or your beach body, whatever it may be, but it will take an act of the will. It's up to you. It's in your hands. You must go on a quest. You must go on a search. You must take hold of things. You must achieve a moral high ground to get there. It is only Christianity that says that God comes to us in the midst of our darkness. It is only Christianity that said God comes to us in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our questions, comes to be with us. For friends, the good news of Christmas. The Christmas gospel does not promise us that we're never going to face darkness again. But the Christmas gospel does promise that we're never going to face that darkness alone again. You are not alone in the dark. As Isaiah 7 says, this child shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. You know, it's another travel story at holidays. There's a plane full of people. This is a plane full of people, holidays, Christmas, 
impactful, hits a bad patch of turbulence. Really bad. I mean, the whole plane is shaking around. Everyone's freaking out. Even the flight attendants are getting worried and they're strapping themselves in. And there's just one little girl, about age nine, sitting up near the front of the plane. And she's cool as a cucumber. She's just totally calm. Nothing about this terrible turbulence is phasing her. And finally, one of the flight attendants looks at her and says, dear, aren't you just a little bit afraid? And she says, oh no, my dad's the pilot. And he's taking us home for Christmas. You see what it changes? Not the promise there will be no turbulence, but the promise that we're not alone in that turbulence. For as Isaiah or Psalm chapter 18 says, by my God, I can leap over a wall. With my God, I can run against an army. This is the promise that in the midst of the worst of our moments, God is with us. That's what the Christmas story tells us. But there's even more. And it's this, that in the midst of the worst of our moments and the worst of us, God is with us. Why? Because he wants us. It's not because we earned it. We didn't. It's not because we deserved it. We don't. It's because he wants us. And we know that because the angel says he comes as a savior. That word savior contains the whole of the good news. It means that God coming in Jesus Christ knows what he's getting into, knows who he's moving in with. It's not like God is coming down and he moves in with us and then goes, whoa, I had no idea how messed up you people were. I'm out of here. He comes as a savior, knowing our condition, knowing our brokenness, and he knows the cost of what it will take to make us well. He comes knowing that when he grows up 30 years from now and begins his Galilean ministry, it will not be enough for him just to teach us how to live right before God, but he will in fact have to bear everything wrong in us. He will have to bear our own sins and our wickedness in his own body, taking the punishment that was ours upon himself, dying on a cross, bearing our death and rising in victory over it. He knows this cost and yet he comes. He knows you. He knows me and still he comes. He knows you to the depths and he loves you to the skies. He wants you and he wants me and he wants everyone in this world. You know, so often I think we make a sequence error when we think about the love of God. We think often unreflectively that God's salvation comes first and then he loves us. You know, he comes and does the work in us, makes us better, and then he loves the new product. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he loves us first and that's why he comes to save. For John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Or as C.S. Lewis says, God does not love us because we're lovable. He loves us because he is love. You know, several months ago, I was with one of my daughters up in Montreal, Canada, on a college visit. We were touring 
a, a college, a potential college. You know, when you get there as parents, you start doing those college tours with your children becoming adults. And so we were up there doing this college tour and we got into an Uber. And uh, delightfully, I discovered on the Uber app that there's this new feature called Quiet Ride. And I could click it and what it would say, the extrovert in me just loved this. I could say effectively to the driver, I don't want to talk. I just want to drive. Just quiet. I know it's a terrible thing, but like, I'm just being honest with you here. I'm just like, give me the quiet ride. I don't want to talk to the driver. And so we get in the car. I don't know if this driver just ignored the quiet ride option or, 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 you know, didn't see it, but he started talking at us the minute we got in the car, the whole way to the college. So we're driving up to McGill and he's talking, he's talking. And then he says this, he starts talking directly to my daughter and says, you know, you're going to go to college, right? This is a college tour. He goes, that's great. He said, when you go to college, don't drink. He said, don't smoke. Be careful who your friends are. Call your parents every week. And I'm like, this is the best Uber ride I've ever been in in my life. And then he said this, and I'll never forget. He said to my daughter, he said, look at your dad. He took time off work and he spent money to bring you for this college trip. You can see how much he loves you. And I thought, thank God he ignored the quiet ride option. <laughs> you can see how much he loves you. That's what Christmas does. That's what the Christmas story does for you and I. You can see how much God loves you. For Christmas tells us that even in our very worst God has chosen to be with us. Why? Because he wants us. He comes to save. As Romans chapter five, verse eight says, God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, for some of you tonight, I know that this is a new story or a story you've heard before, but a story that isn't really your own yet. You haven't really taken this story in as your own. And I would simply say that if there's even just a tiny piece of your heart that tonight is captured by the story, pay attention to that. Lean into that. Pursue that. Because to quote C.S. Lewis again, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, but if true, is of infinite importance. What it cannot be is moderately important. Do not let this moment go. Invite this one into your life tonight. For he is already with you, and he already wants you. He wants to save. But for many of you, you know the story. The story is yours. You, you, you've said yes to the story. You've tried to live out this story. But here's the truth. Even if you know this story well, we forget. We forget this story all the time. You know, it's like the elderly couple sitting at the fireplace at Christmas time, and uh, the wife says, you know, I really want some gingerbread with some icing on top of it. And the husband says, I'll get it. And she says, write it down. You'll forget and he says, I won't forget. And he leaves and goes to the kitchen. And he's gone for a while. And he finally comes back after a while with a plate of eggs and toast. And she says, I told you to write it down. You forgot the bacon. <laughs> I'm going to try that at the 10 o'clock service. By that time, that just won't register at all. But 
The point is we all forget. We all forget. And this is why we come to church. This is why we come week after week. Some people wonder, why do Christians go to church every week? Is it because, you know, they just want to go to church and kind of feel good about things? And no, you know why we go to church? Not because we're good people who've got it all together. The reason we go to church week after week is that Christians forget the gospel every week. We constantly are forgetting the good news and we come back to have it remembered. And here's what we remember when we come in through word and sacrament, through the message telling the story again and then coming to this table and receiving bread and wine that declares just how much God loves us. Whether you've had that week, the best of weeks or the worst of weeks, you still come and you hear the gospel, and you receive bread and wine at this table, his body broken for you, his blood shed for you, and you remember that even in your worst, he's with you right here because he wants you that much. Nails, spears will pierce him through. The cross he bore for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. This is why this story captures us still. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.